When you think of a safari park, which animals first come to mind? Maybe it's the big cats like tigers and lions lounging in the sun atop a perch. Or perhaps it's a herd of elephants marching together through a field with a baby calf following its mother. Remember that feeling of seeing these great animals up close and in person for the first time? Now what if there was a safari park that only featured animals that had been previously extinct? The saying, dead as a dodo, would no longer strictly be true. You're listening to Hollywood Science. In each episode, I'll take a look at a particular film to see how the science fiction holds up to reality. In this episode, Jurassic Park and de-extinction. I'm Alex Contis. Jurassic Park is an adaptation of the Michael Crichton novel of the same name and was released in the summer of 1993 to an overwhelmingly positive critical response. There it is. Welcome to Jurassic Park. We've made living biological attractions so astounding that they'll capture the imagination of the entire planet. It was praised for its technical achievements in being the first film to realistically portray dinosaurs on screen, and arguably they still hold up today, almost 25 years later. The film also led to two sequels, a reboot and an upcoming sequel to the reboot, making it one of the most beloved franchises in cinema history. Perhaps one of the reasons for its continued success is that it made us all believe that dinosaurs could one day walk the earth again after some simple genetic trickery, helpfully explained in Jurassic Park by an animated DNA sequence with a southern drawl. A DNA strand like me is a blueprint for building a living thing. And sometimes animals that went extinct millions of years ago, like dinosaurs, left their blueprints behind for us to find. We just had to know where to look. A hundred million years ago, there were mosquitoes, just like today. And, just like today, they fed on the blood of animals, even dinosaurs. Sometimes, after biting a dinosaur, the mosquito would land on the branch of a tree and get stuck in the sap. After a long time, the tree sap would get hard and become fossilized, just like a dinosaur bone, preserving the mosquito inside until Jurassic Park scientists came along. Using sophisticated techniques, they extract the preserved blood from the mosquito and, bingo, dino DNA. And this all sounds well within the realms of possibility. Mosquitoes are well known for their blood-sucking tendencies, and bugs commonly get trapped in tree sap that becomes fossilized amber, so everything checks out so far. Where Jurassic Park deviates from reality, is the claim that DNA contained in the ingested blood survives some 65 million or so years and remains viable for some genetic tinkering. Scientists at the University of Manchester set out to recover DNA samples taken from insects trapped in copal, a type of tree resin, that hadn't yet become fossilized. The samples used were dated from 60 years ago 
all the way back to 10,600 years ago, making them relatively fresh by fossil standards. But even with these samples being much more recent than any from Jurassic Park, the scientists were not able to recover any genetic material at all, leaving it even less likely that there'd ever be any dino DNA recovered. So it sounds as if trying to rely on finding perfectly preserved dinosaur blood that might be used to recreate a T-Rex or Velociraptor might be out of the question then. But there is, potentially, another way to bring back other extinct species. It's a process that you might be familiar with in some form or another, known as selective breeding. And it works by choosing the desired traits in two parents to be passed down to future offspring, and then repeating this process until these traits become dominant characteristics. It's done in the food industry to yield consistently sized crops, by animal breeders to encourage purity of breeds, and, when done in reverse, could bring back species that have long been extinct. Back in 1627 in Poland, the last of a species of wild cattle known as the aurochs died out as a result of prolonged overhunting and a loss of habitat. These Eurasian aurochs were one of three subspecies that had walked the earth for millions of years. The oldest recorded finding of which, the Indian aurochs, had been dated at two million years old. At first glance, the aurochs appeared to resemble a bull with long horns protruding from its skull. But today, its closest descendant is in fact the common domestic cow. Because we know that the cow and the aurochs share a common DNA, the way to engineer this de-extinction is to selectively breed cow species that can incrementally restore the aurochs genome. The process would be repeated and repeated until eventually a living specimen's genome would match what's been recovered from bone and skeletal remains. Another animal whose resurrection has been toyed with is the thylacine, commonly known as the Tasmanian tiger. Indigenous to Australia, Tasmania and New Guinea, the thylacine died out in 1936, like the aurochs, due to overhunting by humans, with the last one dying in captivity at the now-closed Hobart Zoo in Australia. If you go on YouTube and search for the thylacine, you can still see black and white footage of the animals in captivity. They were about the size of small dogs, with tiger-like stripes along their back and rear half, but were in fact part of the marsupial family that includes kangaroos, possums and koalas. Its closest living relative today, though, is the Tasmanian Devil, like Taz from Looney Tunes. <coughs> While working as the director of the Australian Museum, paleontologist Michael Archer hypothesized that since the thylacine had only recently become extinct, the specimens that are currently on display in museums could yield viable genetic material. Gathered DNA fragments could be pieced together to form a complete thylacine genome from which an embryo could be developed to be implanted into a related marsupial surrogate that would bear a new thylacine pup. However, the project never really got off the ground, and so this was all entirely in theory. 
but there's hopes that with advances in genetic technologies that this could one day become a reality. But let's be honest, the aurochs and the thylacine are nowhere near as exciting as the possibility of recreating a dinosaur. And while this might not be possible, the scientific framework that the film uses for creating dinosaurs is. Remember how DNA can be extracted from bones and other fossilized fragments? Well, these DNA samples are often incomplete and have gaps in them. In the film, they don't use related species, however. We use the complete DNA of a frog to fill in the holes and complete the code. <clears throat> and now we can make a baby dinosaur. The frog part doesn't really check out though, and if you remember the film, it leads to some unforeseen consequences that you definitely wouldn't want to happen in reality. But using DNA from the closest living relatives is a well-established method for de-extinction projects. And it's even being applied to what is perhaps the biggest and most ambitious plan for bringing back an extinct species. It's a project to recreate a woolly mammoth. Woolly mammoths could be found roaming across northern Eurasia and North America until around 4,000 years ago, when the last colony died on Wrangell Island off the northeastern coast of Russia, where they'd managed to outlive mainland mammoths by roughly 6,000 years due to its remote location. And there's been no shortage of woolly mammoth remains recovered. There have been excavations recorded as far back as the 17th century, as their ivory tusks were continually sought after for use in ornaments and jewelry. But their remains now hold something more useful to scientists, since they're able to recoup genetic material from partial or complete skeletons, and in some rarer cases, entire frozen baby calves have been recovered with their soft tissue and hair still intact. One thing that makes the woolly mammoth a particularly enticing candidate to be recreated is that its closest living descendant is the endangered Asian elephant, which just happens to share 99% of the same DNA. What this means for the woolly mammoth's revival is that scientists can compare its genome that was completed in 2015 with that of the Asian elephant. Wherever the two differ, scientists can splice in the mammoth DNA with the goal of developing an embryo that can be implanted into an elephant, which would bring it to term. Technically, this offspring wouldn't be a pure woolly mammoth, though it would be 99.99% of the way there. The theory goes that once this first generation is born, it would be reared amongst elephants to learn how to socialize and to survive, while a counterpart can be born with which to mate. The ultimate hope is that after a number of generations, a small colony could be released into a conservation area or out into the wild. And there's an area that has been earmarked for such an event, and with a very specific reason too. Across the Siberian plains, there is a thick, dense layer of permafrost that has trapped more carbon beneath the ground than would be released if we burned all the forests in the world. Now, the warmer the planet gets, the more the permafrost melts, and the closer we get to this carbon being released, which in turn would increase the rate at which the planet would continue to warm, melting polar ice caps, and flooding most coastal towns and cities. 
What Russian geophysicists have done is to create a conservation park where they've introduced herbivores like reindeer, bison, and yaks. The purpose of these animals is to simply graze in the area, which encourages more grass to grow. The grass is the important part since it deflects the sun's energy, helping to maintain and eventually lower the temperature of the permafrost. These geophysicists also use tanks to mimic the existence of mammoths roaming the area. But since tanks aren't the most eco-friendly, it's thought that having actual mammoths roaming the Siberian tundra would help avert a global warming catastrophe. This would be the closest to a real-life de-extinction event, since the mammoths would be living and surviving out in the wild, nurturing their own population without human intervention. With all this cloning and genetic slicing and dicing, you might be wondering, why not just put our efforts into protecting and encouraging the growth of endangered species? There's plenty of reason to believe that it'd be much more expensive and take far longer to recreate an extinct species and then introduce it to the wild than it would be to focus on conservation efforts that could mend humans' relationships with nature and reverse some of the destruction that we've brought about. All of this aside though, admit it, there's still a part of you that wants to see a T-Rex. Hollywood Science is created by me, Alex Contis. If you'd like to be kept up to date with the show, please consider subscribing wherever you normally get your podcasts from. And if you have a spare minute, tell a friend about the show as well, or leave a review as it helps others find the show. You can like and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. The links are at hollywoodscience.co.uk and in the show notes as well. Until next time, thank you for listening.